This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com. Top of the news this evening is speculation concerning the real facts behind the Department of Health announcement about a radioactive spill supposed to have occurred yesterday at the state nuclear plant. You know what you're thinking. Mine's bigger than yours, right? It's not fair. Throw it away. All right? Tons of popcorn there. Yeah. And all you gotta do is go climb a tree to go eat it. <laughs> it was a night like any other night. Then something happened. Oh, good lord. It's. It's unbelievable. It's. It's horrible. Welcome to the Really Awful Movies Podcast, a celebration of low-budget cinema. The sleep of reason gives birth to monsters. Hi, my name's Chris, and along with Jeff, we're bringing you the very best and worst of horror, sci-fi, post-apocalyptic wasteland, kung fu, and women in prison movies from the 1960s to today. Check us out at reallyawfulmovies.com, part of the Crypt TV family. Headquarters here is episode 74B, Black Christmas. Fall la la la, it's the holiday season. To uh, celebrate, we're going to be talking about one of the most seminal horror movies ever made, Black Christmas from 1974. This is a this is a movie that uh, 
basically started it all when it yeah. comes to the slasher genre. All the conventions, all the tropes, all the things that we that we've come to know and love with the slasher movie mm-hmm. genre, whether it's the POV killer, mm-hmm. uh, the co-eds stuck in a house who are being picked off one by one, the hell you throw in the threatening phone calls. Mm-hmm. And there's too many to mention. The phone it's calls just, coming from within the house, yes, <laughs> like the urban legend. Yes. Yeah. Now, uh, interesting uh, pedigree about uh, about this movie in the sense uh, who directed it, who starred in it. The director was Bob Clark. Um, Bob Clark, it's really funny because when you look at his career, I mean, he made this movie, Black Christmas. He also made the beloved, although I've never actually sat down and watched the entire movie, A Christmas Story. Oh, okay. You know, uh, the one with... Uh, I, was that, gonna, I thought you were going to say Porky's. And Porky's. Oh, yeah, he also if made you it. hadn't sat through the whole thing of that, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so you that had your alpha yes, male card indeed. rescinded. But A Christmas Story, I mean, everyone knows that movie with the, uh, the uh, I guess his tongue stuck to the to the uh, post. The or post, whatever, yeah. And the, the leg and blah, blah, blah. I went to a Christmas party a couple years ago. It was on in the background. People love that movie. He also made another really cool horror film before this one called uh, Children Should Play With Dead Things. Really cool movie. The cast of this movie is unbelievable. Uh, John Saxon. Can't go wrong. You cannot go wrong. Um, Margot Kidder. Yes. Who everyone knows, of course, is Lois Lane from Superman. Cure Delay, who uh, was from who played Peter in 2001. Um, Andrew Martin from SCTV. Some notable uh, Canadian actors, Art Hindle, Lynn Griffin, who uh, was also in Curtains. And I'm saving the best for last because... Uh, Man, do I love her. Olivia Hussey. Um, Unfortunate name, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even a real name. That's her nom de plume. She actually wow. picked that name. Wow. But Olivia Hussey, high school? Come on, man. Zeffirelli? Romeo and Juliet? Oh, oh my God. That was her, uh-huh. man. And, I mean, she played Juliet in uh, Franco Zeffirelli's adaptation of Romeo and Juliet. And we, we had so many period pieces foisted on us in high school <laughs> it's hard to really differentiate yeah. and yeah. after we, we read Romeo and Juliet as they would you know, after we read Macbeth we watched the movie Macbeth etc they played Zephyrilla's Romeo and Juliet now here I am I think it was like grade 10 okay and I'm watching this movie in school and this movie and I'm falling in love with this with this Juliet this Olivia Hussey and she did a nude scene at the tender age of fifteen, she was only fifteen years old when she made when she did this nude scene, and I at the time I was about fifteen, so it's appropriate. This is no Jared here, man. I was just like, oh my <laughs> god, wow, I'm in love with this woman, and um, I mean that was a very auspicious debut to her career. Um, she sort of, I mean, she was in a movie called Turkey Shoot, uh, which I love, directed by Brian Trenchard Smith, the director of Stunt Rock. And oh, amazing movie. So many other incredible exploitation movies. But yeah, Olivia Hussey, she plays Jess in this movie, and she's just one of, one of, one of my, you know, one of the girls <laughs> in my dreams. Uh, well, uh, for all the directorial credits of Mr. Clark, you omitted my favorite that I've talked about in um, other instances in the podcast Murder by Decree. Mm. Which I haven't seen. Yes, which I have to revisit. This is the movie that gave me the, the night sweats. That got you into horror, basically. Yes, yeah. and it's the period piece chronicling the Whitechapel murders. Sorry, Christopher Plummer. Yeah, the Jack the Ripper piece that envisioned Sherlock Holmes investigating 
the Ripper murders, and that thing scared the living crap out of me and kept me up all night. So this this guy, again, all, all his movies are, to a certain extent, they're all pretty terrific. He's mm-hmm. a very talented guy. And unfortunately, we lost him a few years back to a car accident. Mm-hmm. But uh, amazing, and a pretty visionary character as well. Mm-hmm. Now, when you wrote about this movie... Um on our website, you called the Rocket 88 of uh, horror films. Yes. Please explain, <laughs> explain that reference. Rocket 88, I guess, uh, I don't want to say widely because I'm sure there's going to be some internet pedant who will say, no, this was, but Rocket 88 was arguably the first rock song ever recorded. Uh, sometime in the 50s, I think it predated uh, Ike and Tina, um, Elvis, all that kind of thing, and it was... So not Bo Diddley, not Chuck Berry. No, no. And and this, you could make the same case that Black Christmas was the first slasher. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting because um, a lot of people credit John Carpenter's Halloween for being the first slasher. But a lot of the uh, elements that made Halloween so successful were already done four years prior in Black Christmas, i.e. the POV shots of the killer. Yes. The movie starts with the POV shot of the killer. Also, you know, this was the first movie to set uh, a horror film around a major holiday. Yes. So before <laughs> Halloween, we had Christmas. Yes, um, and then it was just followed by just a litany of, mm-hmm. of other ones. My yeah. God, uh, uh, My Bloody Valentine, New Year's Evil, Christmas Evil, April Fool's Day... Graduation day, okay. <laughs> yeah. even you know it's Friday thirteenth. Yeah. You know, so yeah, is I there mean, an Independence Day massacre? I don't know. Well, there's Independence is Day, there which Victoria was sort day of a massacre? massacre when I saw it in the theater because I really did not like that film. But, this is true. Yes. You know, that, although yeah. I love Jeff Goldblum, but Will mm-hmm. Smith and you know, all the other anyway, whatever. There's no there's there's no movie about Hump Day. At least not in, <laughs> yeah. at least not in the non-adult section of the video store. If those I, still exist. If, uh, if memory serves, there is a Bloody Wednesday movie. Yeah, uh, I think you okay. have to look that up. I just <laughs> yeah. would say, like, if there was a movie called Hump Day, it would yes. probably not be for minors. But anyway, yeah. let's just, that's a, you know, I digress. So, <laughs> well, as as we said earlier, a bunch of well, I was gonna say that's a great segue because speaking of not for minors, let's talk about the voice on the phone. So we have a bunch of um, young nubile soror. Well, yeah, yeah. So it is a sorority. Sorority coeds in a house. Yeah, and they have a den mother. I'm not exactly sure what the term is for it now, or whether it's extant at all. Because mm-hmm. obviously this was a different time. But yeah. they have a, a woman whose job it is to look after the interests of mm-hmm. these uh, young uh, undergraduate uh, students. And by the way, I hated this character. Her name is Mrs. Mack. I there there I mean there this movie is incredible for its influence but in my opinion it is flawed and for sure I really hated Mrs. Mack I hated this character but anyway yes the then mother mm-hmm. the house steward I don't know what you want to call yeah, it yeah 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 I guess right now it would be almost the equivalent of a don in a dorm room Descent, uh, is that what they call uh Maybe is that a female Don? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> Who knows? Okay, someone who's in Donna. charge. A Donna. A Donna. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> a prima Donna? I don't know. Either way, yeah. It's an interesting character. So she's supposed to be looking after all these all these young girls. And she is a bit of a a bit of a booze hound. A bit of a booze hound. <laughs> <laughs> and in one great scene, uh, she has a library because this is a frat house or a sorority house it's a giant victorian era kind of big home and she is looking for hooch in the evening mm-hmm. to uh celebrate 
Christmas cheer in her own inimitable way, and she looks on the shelf, and under B for booze, she pulls out a title, and inside the book is where she's hidden her flask, mm-hmm. and hidden her hidden her her liquor, and she's she's supposed to be in charge of all these. Hard. Yeah, what I really love, bizarre. What I love slash hate is it's fucking disgusting. <laughs> like I love my alcohol. You know, mm-hmm. we're sipping on a nice uh, smash bomb, flying monkeys atomic APA right now. Yes. As we're recording this is when she goes into the the toilet, not the toilet bowl, but whatever you call that, where you know the flush mechanism yeah, is, yeah. and that's where she hid her another <laughs> like you know Mickey of something. Like that's disgusting, man. I'm not drinking anything that comes out of a toilet bowl. Yeah, and odd considering she would. Well, why wouldn't she just? Again, one of the many flaws in this otherwise <laughs> a fun movie. Well, if you're the Dawn or the, the the person in charge of other people, she surely would have her own room or an office. So why didn't she just stash her hooch there? And the other thing, too, is that, I mean, some nobody in this sorority was what we would call, like, a member of the Upright Citizens Brigade. I mean, everybody, <laughs> you had um, Jess, you know, who uh, was pregnant. Yes. Um, engaging in premarital sex. Yes. You had the, uh, Margaret Kidder's character, Barb, who was just completely foul-mouthed, uh, lascivious, etc. Yes. So, I mean, Mrs. Mack fit right in. She had no reason to hide her uh, proclivity for the bevy for the, you yeah. know, from the rest of the... <laughs> this uh, is very true. So, but, but uh, you know... I, I, I segued into the into the, the the voice on the phone a way back. Yes. So let's go back to that because yes, it's Christmas time, and the phone rings, and there's this this, this sound that comes through the phone, uh, this voice, and it's it's this weird kind of like I don't know like almost like white noise static with this really bizarre kind of like quacking voice which um, Lucio Fulci also utilized in the New York the New York Ripper. Yes. Yeah. And they're like, hello. And all of a sudden you hear these, these vile things. Yes, which was really interesting for the time. As this came out in, what, 73, 74. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the C word. I well, I'm not going to say. This, goes, so this is an obscene caller. Yes, yes. He goes, <laughs> let me lick your pretty big cunt. And this yeah. like Beavis or Butthead or whatever. Suck on my juicy big cock. I'll s- <laughs> and then something like... Uh, Somebody, they mentioned something about his tongue. He goes, oh, I'll stick my tongue up your pretty pussy. Yeah, like, really, yeah. really, really ahead of its time. Yeah. Extremely, extremely... Uh, uh, Exploitative, I mean, yeah. Yeah, and it's funny because I haven't seen this movie in about a dozen years. And so I revisited it last night for this podcast. And when he started going into that sort of stuff, I was shocked. At, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the verbiage coming out of this, this mouth. Amazingly enough, when they shot the film... They actually recorded uh, much more uh, tame dialogue, and that was put in post-production. But anyhow. Cool. Um, Good call. So one of the uh, Sorry Sisters is, is uh, Lynn Griffin uh, playing Claire. And she goes upstairs, and she is in one of the greatest deaths in horror history. Yes. Asphyxiated with a plastic dry cleaning bag. And she is then... It's very okay. So here's where the, like some of the flaws come into play, in my opinion. Because yeah, she's asphyxiated with the bag. Um, she spends the entire movie up in the attic with this bag over her face. She, I mean, it's a great image. Don't get me wrong. For sure. But the thing is that her father was meant to meet her on the campus um, of the university they were attending, which happens to be the University of Toronto. Yes, and i got to say, I texted you while I was watching yeah. this, because the dad is coming to visit his daughter 
at the university, mm. and he picks a random passerby and says, "Hey." Well, it wasn't random. He threw a snowball in his face. Anyway. <laughs> he happens by and says, "Hey, do you happen to know so and so?" And and the the guy says, "Oh Four yeah, I do. They're they're a sister sorority. I'm in a frat." Yeah. This what was shot. <laughs> this is shot at my alma mater, the University of Toronto, yeah. the biggest university in Canada, has sixty-five thousand students. And although the viewer wouldn't know this, mm -hmm. still, if you were to go to any university campus, from the smallest liberal arts college to the largest state university, and go, "Hey, do you know John Smith?" Do I? Yeah, it's as absurd as when you're traveling abroad. Well, I was going to say, yeah, let's gonna say, say you're in Japan. Because we're Canadian, yes, right? And a Japanese Canadian person film. says, hey, you're Canadian. Do you happen to know, you know, Bill Johnson? And, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah exactly. Oh, yeah. I know him. He's my neighbor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, he, I, I was killing he has myself right next to me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then, as you said, this sort of nebbishy dad, who, it should be said, is appalled by the conduct of... The people who live in this sorority and house. And Mrs. There's, Max. And Mrs. Max. Mm -hmm. So you've got a drunk who's supposed to be the authority figure, and then you've got the girls in the house who are like girls gone wild who like to party mm -hmm. with the best of them. And he cannot find his daughter. And it's, yeah, as you said, it's been a day or two, and no one knows where she is. Mm -hmm. We know, obviously, she's in the attic, asphyxiated in yeah. some sort of rocking chair or whatever the yeah. hell it was, mm -hmm. and, and with a feeling on her lap. And, yes, uh, and um, and that's the thing that I, I was as I was watching this movie, I was like, I, I, I don't, I don't get it because you know this is a large house, okay. <laughs> Where where's Claire? Her father, you know, wants to uh, you wants know, to find her, wants hang to out, find yeah. her. And you know, I mean, there, okay, there's a there's a very ineffectual um, law enforcement agent by the name of uh, Nash. Nash. Yes, and I mean, this guy is completely clueless. Like, you know, when they talk, he doesn't give a shit about the obscene phone calls. He doesn't give a shit about the missing Claire. He's like, yeah, whatever, whatever. <laughs> uh, Margaret Kidder has character has a lot of fun with him in terms of. Uh, you know, saying her uh, phone number, calling it fellatio, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, and he misinterprets fellatio as Felicia. But he, he's, he's basically just a lunk-headed cop, and they, they, they try and they bring up their complaints that there are various girls missing in the town, and they actually call him out. I believe one of them says, you know, for a public servant, your attitude sucks, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is just great. So he's, he's this sort of a desk jockey cop who's mm -hmm. just fields phone calls, and his, he basically just passes the buck and, and does thank, nothing. Thank God for John Saxon, <laughs> yes. Lieutenant Ken Fuller, when <laughs> yeah, finally... Thank God for him, and, and for being a, such an active participant in Nightmare on Elm Street as well. Like, that's finally true. a good... the dragon and yes, so on and so forth. Finally then, a good cop yeah. who's on the... On the, on the uh, who says the, on the ball? Who says the Nash? I don't think you can pick your nose without written instructions. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but um, ultimately, they. Well, okay. So, M Mrs. Nash is supposed to go. Sorry, Mrs. Mac. I, my mistake. Yeah. Is supposed to go into town and is supposed to be driven by the father of Claire. And as she's getting ready, she gets a hook in her head and she's hoisted up into the attic. <laughs> she's up there with with the late Claire. They with the late Claire, yeah. And not the A Claire, but the late Claire. Yes. And, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> but anyway, they yeah. Yeah. They form a fucking search party after a number of days to go looking for Claire. Yes. They go out into the vast wilderness, the hinterland of Toronto, to find Claire. Yeah, they, uh, complete with a snowmobile. Like, it doesn't yeah. get more Canadian than this. They, they, they do come across a, a dead child, and they're in the woods and everything. Yeah. But I was, 
I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, a fucking search party? Go upstairs! She's in not, the attic! Yeah, not, She's not starting even, to decompose, man. <laughs> yeah, that's the, the true. Smell. Rigor, rigor mortis is setting in, yes. but at the very least, and they only got to it later, they could have searched her bedroom to find out where she might have gone, rather than wandering around the wilds of Toronto. Like, mm. If someone disappears, you go to their place and see if... Uh, let's say they've got a diary entry. Let's say they've yeah, a bunch of clothes strewn about. Maybe they've been robbed. Maybe they've been kidnapped. Mm. They do not go to her he- her bedroom and try to figure out where the heck she went to. Mm-hmm. And um, so that that was just a little like. <laughs> but it's speaking of snowmobiles, okay. <laughs> this is great. I, I felt so Canadian after watching this movie. Not only is this filmed. In Toronto, my alma mater, University of Toronto, there's snow all over the place. There's a snowmobile. There's toques. Mm-hmm. You name it. There's also a hockey scene with a Friday the 13th mask-wearing character who is the boyfriend of one of the of girls Claire, in the house. Claire, Claire, the, Claire, one yes. got, the one that was asphyxiated. Yes. And this is Chris played by Art Hindle. Another, uh, well, interesting piece of non-Canadiana is that what was, I mean, this was a tax shelter film. This was from that era. And what they would do is they would somehow try and make it seem like it was it took place in America. Yeah, so you've got to add a Stars and Stripes flag on yes. the desk of a cop. So <laughs> as far as, you know, despite the fact that this film is as Canadian as can be, <laughs> yeah. you know, when they're talking to John Saxon, Lieutenant Ken Fuller, he's got this little pathetic dollar store American flag on his desk that kind yes. of throws off the case. Like, oh, this has got to be taken yes. to place in some major U.S. metropolis somewhere. <laughs> and, and, and speaking of red herrings, there's also a character, Peter, mm-hmm. who is a music student, mm-hmm. and he studies at the conservatory, and he's sort of a, t- a tortured, temperamental artist. And he is shown in one scene smashing a piano to bits after an audition goes bad. Yeah, so you know, he's, 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 he's like the, he's, he's the Glenn Gould of the yeah. picture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, speaking of Toronto. <laughs> and, and he's meant to be the... Red herring. He's, uh, oh my god, how obvious of a red herring. <laughs> yeah. He's, yeah, he's the guy who destroys the piano with mm-hmm. a hammer. He's got to be crazy. He has a weird look. He's got weird, like, Charles Manson hair. Yep. And you figure, that guy's got to be the killer. Yep, this is Cure Delay, and he's also Jess's boyfriend. He's the one that impregnated her. There's a lot of uh, tension between her and Jess because... Um, she wants to abort the baby. He's, uh, yes. He doesn't want that to, to occur. Mm-hmm. Another thing about it, and, and Jess, I mean, this is Olivia Hussey, I mean, she plays a very pivotal role because she's pretty much the final girl, right? Mm-hmm. So as people are getting picked off in the sorority house, and these phone calls continue, and they're just completely obscene and completely um, just... Disgusting. Disgusting, but not even that, but discombobulating. Just the voices coming out. It's Billy. Billy. You know, Billy is the one that's making these calls. And and this finally spurs the cops into action to actually go to the sorority house. And to finally (laughs) fucking trace the call. And and this is is one thing I did appreciate, is seeing Les Carlson, who we know from uh, a ton of Cronenberg films, like... uh, Videodrome, Dead Zone, The Fly, you know, working frantically to trace the call as poor Jess has to keep talking to this guy and wa- running around in what looks like a, a, a CERN reactor or something, you mm-hmm. know, like <laughs> to trace a bloody phone call is yes. hilarious. <laughs> but anyhow, um, poor, and the other thing about Jess that's kind of funny, I don't know if you noticed this, but her sweater that she was wearing um, to cover her comely body. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, 
It kind of reminded me of the master's robes in uh, Mao's Hands of Fate. There's two hands. <laughs> Excellent, yes. They're, they're, they're <laughs> you know, covering know, her, uh, her, yeah, her ample bosoms. Yeah, <laughs> indeed, indeed. So she's left in the story house with, with uh, Phil, played by, this is Andrew Martin's character, and they're trying, to, and so there's a search party going on, ostensibly Barb is, up, is upstairs asleep, Marvel Kidder, but Barb has been um, another great death, killed by... Uh, a unicorn statue. A glass unicorn statue. <laughs> yes, yeah. one of the great deaths in horror history. And that was shot really, really well. It was um, really cool. Another amazing shot was Billy's eye. That was yeah. an incredibly iconic That's all shot. you really see of the antagonist mm-hmm, here. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, of course, everyone is thinking that it's Peter, but at one point Peter's got an alibi, and she's all happy it's not Peter, and they're tracing the call, and blah, blah, blah. And... Finally, find out that the call is coming from within within the house. house. (laughs) Yeah, baby. And Nash, the idiot cop, is like, Jess, get out Out of the the house. house. Yeah. (laughs) But what does she do? She starts calling, Barb, Phil, and she doesn't get out of the house. She runs upstairs again. Like, I I couldn't get past this. Even I was watching a documentary afterwards and. The actress of Olivia Hussey said, I would have been out of the house before you even said yeah. my name. <laughs> but no, she ran, She goes upstairs and, you know, wants to confront the maniac that's in the house. The movie basically piles on the red herring of uh, Peter being the killer. And ultimately, we're left to surmise that he was a killer. However, there is a twist at the end, which is sort of a... A non- shoehorned in backstory for, for the... The obscene caller. Yeah, it, it left a few ends untied. Untied, mm-hmm. but arguably. But I mean, it's still it's scary because I mean, you know, he's still out there, mm-hmm. and um, as the uh, the camera sort of pans away and the, during the closing credits, and we see the house, and we see the cops standing in front, you know, um, the sentinel on guard, what have you. Yes. You hear the phone ringing yet again. So, of course, you know, that that's cool. I like I like those ambiguous endings, yes. you know. So we never really know, you know, who the killer is. We never really know what his motivations are. Um, yes. A lot of flaws. A lot of things that made me just kind of nuts. Because, I, like I said, I haven't watched this film in a dozen years. Yeah. But, at the same token, we have to appreciate this movie because of its tendrils, because of its reach, because of its influence. And there's a lot of other amazing things about this movie. There's um, the, 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 the atmosphere, the feeling of dread, you know what I mean? This is a Christmas movie. It takes place during, you know, December, let's say. But it's the total antithesis of festive. You have your wreath on the door. You have your carolers. But uh, yes, yeah, the O Come All Ye Faithful car- mm-hmm. uh, Carolers. And there's a wonderful scene, the juxtaposition of the murder and the cut to the kids singing. And that, something about kids singing in a, in a horror film that's kind of creep, creeps me out. And that was really neat. Mm-hmm. So, but, and all that you have is you have um, this, uh, uh, sort of, um, I don't even know what the character was, his name was, but at the beginning he's dressed up as Santa Claus, one of the rotund characters mm-hmm. with that. Uh, Gigantic, very impressive afro. Um, you have these, these. Um, and he's not happy to be Chris Kringle. No, but he's, he's, he's pissed at his gig and drops f bombs and says, "Oh, why am I doing this shit?" Yeah, this is not. This is <laughs> it's not a festive. wonderful life. No, yeah. you have these archetypes of Christmas, but it's not festive. No, it feels. It feels like 
the bizarre world of Christmas. Although Christmas is going on, there are no jingle bells. There's nobody saying Merry Christmas. There's no joy. There's nothing. No. It's just there's, there's a real feeling of uh, like the, of a choking atmosphere, a feeling of dread, a feeling of almost nihilism in this movie, which I, I appreciate it. Yeah, that well, I guess, uh, presumably, we can only guess that the uh, co-eds could not get home to their families for Christmas, or they were just milling about after classes had come to an end, and they were stuck in this house in the deep, dark winter, and But it's not that. I mean, even at the police station, I mean, there was, no, there was nothing really festive feeling about it, despite the inclusion <laughs> of the carolers, despite the inclusion of the Christmas decorations, the Santa, whatever. It's, it's, it's a bleak film. Yeah, for it's sure. It's bleak from frame one to the end. I appreciate the fact that it maintained its bleakness. For sure. I appreciate the fact that, as you said before, um... You know, the whole Rocket 88. I mean, a lot of these uh, elements of the slasher film that were attributed to John Carpenter were actually done four years prior by Bob Clark in Black Christmas. Mm -hmm. I appreciate the fact that there's some really cool kills, you know? It's not a very high body count movie. No. Not a lot of blood, but a lot of this, the fright is in the atmosphere and the very disorienting, disturbing voice of Billy, the caller, who keeps calling and calling and calling, and, what, and the things that come out of his mouth, it's just like... Oh. Hey, yet they keep answering the phone. <laughs> well, just, she, she kind of had to in order, because oh, we couldn't trace it, we couldn't trace yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, at a certain point she had to, yeah. Poor Jess, man, yeah, like, yeah. you know, she just wanted, like, you know... No gentleman caller there, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and then on the other hand, Peter's calling, saying, kill the baby, and then, and then John yes. Saxon says, what the fuck was that all about? <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of things that are going on in this movie, that mm -hmm. give it a real sort of mounting sense of dread and bleakness and it has become a bonafide classic for sure it's a classic mm -hmm. not many people will, will um, a classic with a caveat yeah and, and I would give it three and a half on our rating scale yeah. because again it's uh, established all the tropes that we've become used to seeing almost over the years yeah it, it, almost inured to in the sense like yeah. you know like it, it, we, we've become it, they become cliches, but, mm -hmm. I mean, at this point, it was very fresh. Um, yeah, I'm going to give, I, I mean, for influence, I'm going to give five. It, it's a five. Yeah. But for an actual yeah. movie, I'm going to give it two and a half. Hmm. Which is, I know, I know, it's, it's almost sacrilegious. Well, it a, is a beautiful film. It's beautifully shot, beautiful, rich colors, some mm -hmm. good performances, a good Cracker Jack script, mm -hmm. uh, good little cynicism, uh, ahead of its time in terms of the, the, the salty language. And I, I would say more ballsy than Halloween, even the, the first Halloween. Ooh. So the, the, even just to drop the C word, it's pretty amazing that this film right now would not be shown on network TV. And that's, there's something to be said for that. Mm -hmm. uh, what did we learn? Um, hmm, interesting. Um, I learned that um, if you have Olivia Hussey in a movie... <laughs> Maybe have her take her top off. Yeah. I mean, she did when she was 15. Why can't she do it at this point when she was about, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, sure. when she was of age? Yeah. Maybe then my two and a half star rating would have gone up to about three and a half. Yeah. Um, no, that's uh, being, I mean, being <laughs> facetious somewhat. Tell me, Chris, what did you learn? Well, uh, for a creature that has a, maybe a brain the size of, a, of, a, of an acorn, uh, one of the stars that we didn't mention of this film. It's got to be Claude the cat. Mm. <laughs> it's a great yeah. MacGuffin. This cat, uh, I guess, goes missing at a certain point, and the den mother goes looking for it and starts calling out for Claude. And 
uh, he opens the hatch, climbs the ladder. Claude, Claude, mm-hmm. he's calling out for this kitty. The kitty is on the lap of the deceased, mm-hmm. and the poor den mom is uh, ratcheted, I believe the term would be, uh, roped to her death, and all for her concern over her pet. You know what? That's it. And this is a pretty good performance by Claude. (laughs) I will give credit where credit is due. This could have been maybe the first ever cat jump scare. But they did not go that route. So good good on them for that. You know? For sure. For sure. Because damn, do I... That's one trope. They could have have started. They they did not. So now, okay, I'm going to... Okay, so yeah, my my second most hated trope, uh, the cat jump scare and the looking into the medicine cabinet, and then the, the mirror fright. Mm-hmm. And then you look behind you, and the thing's not there. Yeah. But those are my top two, for well, sure. Yeah, I, I will give credit to this film for never giving us a clear view of the killer. You know? Yeah, just the um, eyeball. Just the eyeball, and mm-hmm. a little silhouette at one point when he's killing Barb. Yes. Um, I will give it credit for that ambiguity and so on at the end. But so it's, I will, I'll bump my rating up to a three. For sure. That's yeah. Very fair. Uh, without this, you would not have your sorority house massacres. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not that <laughs> that's the citizen cane of slashers. Uh, you would not have your Halloweens. You would not have all the others. This is the progenitor. This is something that kind of does us proud as, as Canadians. It was a, a little tax shelter movie that could mm-hmm. and had a, a, some future stars who made it big thereafter. Yeah. And it was, it was a really neat it thing. Also, it was also remade in the, I believe, in the late 90s or 2000s, a shitty remake, but let's not even go there. <laughs> and you have taught at a college where this house is located, and to nerd out for a little bit here, in the, in the winter, uh, when, when we get our first major snowfall, I'm going to go up to where this house is and mm-hmm. take a few photos oh, cool. and, you know and i think uh, i will enjoy that and this definitely has a place not only among canadian cinema but cinema or, cinema. yeah for sure cinema, yeah and uh, i'm happy to have seen it twice now and there's something to be said for it mm-hmm. if not we if not being able to give it our wholehearted endorsement this is Let me see. so are you dreaming of a black christmas uh maybe more of a black sunday maybe a superior film there but black okay. christmas really cool film right. on its in its own right worth checking out and definitely check out our site as well and we have a really neat list of our top 13 yuletide christmas horror favorites mm-hmm. so check that out which we'll this be, is on so. yes and we'll be tweeting that out and you can decide for yourself whether our picks are ones you would have picked mm-hmm. www.reallyawfulmovies.com be sure and follow us on twitter awful underscore movies we're part of the crypt tv family and we'll talk to you soon take care